Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat with your hosts, David Clancy and Kieran Dunn. This is a podcast about high performance. What we are striving to achieve is to figure out what makes high performing individuals tick, why they do what they do and why they are successful. Enjoy a journey of stories, lessons and learnings. And we're back here on with another one of these season of reflections. We love these. Yeah, we get to dive back over two years of podcasts and dive into some high performers and the lessons. So, yeah. And I think we seem to have a good bit of success in the last couple. We got some great feedback on the previous two, one on relative high performance and the second one on psychological safety. So if you, had a, if you haven't had a chance yet, go back and re-listen to those ones or even those guests and those episodes because th- those were really good. Yeah, there's some excellent guests coming up for today. We went into a few extra because we couldn't keep them out. Um, we'll dive into who they are now in a moment, but we'll give you an overview on what we're talking about today. Yeah, so we've kind of calling today's session the three C's. So that's piqued your curiosity now, so you're going to keep listening. That is what we want. But the three C's that we're going to dive into are connection, cohesion, and collaboration, and really why they are critical and really, really important for high performance. But also what's really important, I think, what Kira and I are going to dive into and really share what the guests say is it's about building a support network, not a social network. Yeah, we're looking at individual athletes, um, we're looking at team athletes and if whether you went to school, whether you're part of an organization, whether you're part of a family, you're part of a team. So everybody has experience in working with others. We're here on earth normally to find our tribe and to understand where we fit and connect with people. So really this is going to focus on that cohesion and bringing people together and what happens when we want to remain united even in difficult times. And you're going to hear words like trust. That's going to come up. You're going to hear vulnerability. You're going to hear leaders' stories, kind of what they did and how that worked for them. It's going to be some candor here. We love that radical candor, transparency, all those words that really come to the fore. But, Kiran, a little bit on psychological safety last time was really interesting. Tell us a little bit about Tuckman. Yeah, Bruce Tuckman looked at, he was a researcher in group dynamics, so he looked at the stages of team development and group development. And he came up with a rhyming model, which is very helpful. And he called, he called it the Tuckman model after himself. Oh, that was that was an easy one. <laughs> and the stages go, the first stage is forming. So that's when a team comes together. You're trying to get people who maybe don't know each other, maybe don't know where people are from, their backgrounds, what their goals are, what their objectives are. So it's about trying to find a dynamic in order to understand each other, but also to set clear goals about where you're going as a group. And this can be, it sounds like it's a very organizational business type proposal, but if you think about a family, you can have goals of when you're going on holiday or what you want to do over the next few months. And it's not just as explicit as saying, this is what we want to achieve, but you might want to grow closer and you might want to, you know, attend all your, let your son or your daughter attend all their hurling or football or basketball sessions. And that's setting goals in itself. And when we have that connection and we have that first stage of forming the ideas, that's really where it the ground is broken and we can start this team dynamic and this cohesiveness. It moves on then to storming, which is a little bit more, it's like establishing the structure and the procedures. So again, going back to that family example, that'd be just saying, okay, you have to get back from school and do your homework by six so I can get ready to drop you for half six. And that's when you're talking about informal procedures, but you can, you can go all the way up to organizations where they look at um, daily policies, they look at the daily procedures that go on for staff, what's expected of them, roles and responsibilities. And what we're going to hear today is how that is in the world of sport, how athletes have 
certain ways of forming and storming together in order to get the best outcome. They use very direct language. Even a guest who's not featured today, Damien Varley, spoke about this in the Munster dressing room where you talk directly and challenge each other very directly and give critique to your counterparts in order to get better as a team. So that's that next stage. And what we move on to then is the norming. This is something that Shane O'Sullivan speaks about, the values. So we've all been there where we've seen these values written on company websites, on individuals' websites, on walls. We've heard about values. But what do they mean? And maybe hopefully some people that are listening have discovered their own and, and maybe aligned with their own values as we've talked about in previous episodes. But the most important thing is that when we're in that norming one is that you have consistent meetings with each other, consistent communication and dialogue in order to maintain your alignment to them. You have to give autonomy to people to go after what they're doing, so the objectives, the goals that you set, but you have to have normal and sort of expected standards of behavior and actions that need to happen. So if you're thinking about a team scenario, you will never win with a group of individuals who are doing their own thing. They have to be doing it for the group objective or the group goal. And we'll look into that and we'll hear from Sophie Becker and others who are individual athletes, but all very good at understanding the group and the team dynamic around them that allow them to perform at the top level. So lastly, when we're getting there and we have them stages built, we think about that as a foundation. Tuckman talks about the performing stage. So teams are generally trying to hit that optimal level. They're trying to do it consistently and sustainably so they can do it for a long period. We think to teams like the All Blacks who continue to have a winning percentage over many years despite only a 5 million population. It's incredible. And they've been used several times in terms of looking at it from business perspectives, even from family perspectives, how they link back to their values. It's huge. So if we want to keep that going, the sustainable success, we have to always be interacting and looking at what's not going right. And this is where difficulty often lies because telling something of someone they're doing wrong is very difficult. It's a hard thing. And it also causes often a lot of tension and friction because ego gets in the way and people don't want to be critiqued too much and have what they fe- what they maybe experience as a personal attack. If we can position things that everybody understands the contributions and the critiques are to make the group better, they're a platform for people to get better, like we discussed in psychological safety, that environment, that's when true performing and the most exciting stage, as we said, performing happens. Thanks very much for that, Kieran. I was... Uh listening intently and learned a lot and i hope you all listening to that really maybe take a minute pause go back and listen to what he was what he was sharing about that tuckman model but that will that will really come to the fore when we unpack who's coming up today and we've got five guests that have been on the show all from diverse backgrounds different walks of life different parts of the world who's up first performance coach and club champion with bally gunner shane o'sullivan from inspiring excellence we also have Sophie Becker. So Sophie is an Irish Olympian, 400 meter track, a very fast lady indeed. She is looking to represent Ireland more and more and has been on the podcast discussing with us how teams are so important in individual sports. So who's around her, other athletes she can look to for inspiration. And now she was the one that was talking about team or individual sports, but what about team sport? Yeah, we've got Billy Holland, you know, who's been there, done that, achieved so much for Munster been there bedrock set standards for such a long time as a leader captain and um, some really amazing stories to come from that so billy holland and what an amazing person he is as well so he'll have some great lessons to share with us as well yeah we're going to talk about james our talk about our episode with james horwell so 
James, professional rugby player, also went on to Captain Australia and then completed an MBA in Cambridge University. So a very driven, intelligent, but also very humble individual. So his insights on team are absolutely brilliant. And you really understand when you're performing at the highest level, what you have to do in order to get there. And then kind of moving over to the world of Rich Froning across the pond, and who obviously, as, as we all know, excelled as an individual, you know, CrossFit champ for a lot of times, but then obviously traversed and went over into the team environment. And we're going to really hear his sense as to what that's all about. That was a special episode. We really enjoyed that one. So go back and listen to Rich because he was, he was a special one for us as well. Yeah, finally, we're going to go to, I think he's now called a businessman, to be honest, because he's done so much in that sphere. Known as a rugby player, but <laughs> yeah, business is going well for him. Yeah, so George Cruz, former England international and now the CEO, I believe, of 4-5, founder of 4-5 with Dom Day, another former rugby player. And they are setting the world alight in terms of the CBD world. So you can learn about all of the things that he's experienced across his career and the conversations he had when England were turning the corner from being a team that were performing at a good level, but not the elite level that they reached to reach World Cup finals. So in unbelievable insights from George. So that's a great run. You have Sophie Becker, Billy Holland, we've got Rich Froning, James Horwell, and George Cruz. So lots of lots of interesting insights there. We'll see you after and we'll talk about takeaways and who's coming up later. About the teams, you know, we've both would have had experience in that space. So you walk into a building, a high performance facility where you see these words up on the up on the up on the paint and up on the structure. And it might say resilience and it might say integrity and all these values that obviously we know are lofty and are empowering. But maybe there's a there's a recognition from somewhere within that organization. It could be you walking in, it could be us, it could be a GM, it could be anyone that maybe everyone's not quite embodying that value system. Maybe there's someone in there that's not fully bought into it. And that obviously is important in the corporate setting. What would you do there? What would you do when you're trying to get everyone to buy into the collective value system? Yeah, very good question. So the first thing is that people to buy into anything, they must be a part of it. So if you take that analogy that you use walking into a building and seeing words on the wall, I mean, those words are nothing unless the people that have put those words there are the people that are in the room. So when you get a group or an organization or team together and actually get them in collaborative approach with maybe the management and the whole, I suppose, external group together and say, like, what are our values? You know, what, what words really resonate for us and why do they resonate for us? And actually really get back down to earth and say, we can put many words, many quotes on the wall, but what's really unique, inspiring and motivational for us as a team or as a group? What really matters? And when you spend time, I mean, a number of sessions around a group and you get to the core of what really matches them, what really connects to the heart of the team. And you ask those deep questions. And why is it important that you think that that word is important or what that value is important? And you really, really open up about that. Then you can put the words on the wall and they have a really significant impact. And then after that stage, then it's about, okay, those are our values. But what happens? What do we do to align to those values? So where does the rubber meet the road here? So we have a value of integrity. Well, what does that mean? Or integrity might be construed as honesty. Well, what does honesty mean? Well, maybe honesty means when we reflect on a match, 
on a Monday or a Tuesday in a video analysis session, that if we see something that can impact the team positively, that we call it out. Now, that's integrity. That's honesty. That's a value. And people are living that value. With all of these great teams and great organizations, yes, they'll have the words, but they have created the words themselves and they've aligned those words to what they do every day. So it's a living it's a living document or it's a living transcript or it's a living representation of what that team stands for. To the trained eye, it mightn't be very obvious to, to the observer that watches the match maybe on a Sunday or a Saturday in the last two All-Irelands. But to the trained observer, you will see those values within those great groups of people. It's basically shining through on the day of a, a high-performance game or you know, on the day of an All-Ireland final. Going back and building what you said earlier about radical transparency and the ability to have an authentic connection it's it's sometimes easier when there's a large company with a structure and they've got big ambitious goals and they've set out a, a particular course or structure that they're going to follow for club teams across all sports in ireland in the uk in the us how do you adopt that approach of being able to call people out without them maybe taking a personal to try and align what you're trying to do with the, with the ultimate goal. Is there a particular way that you would recommend for maybe managers or leaders or captains to try and instill a culture like that? Yeah, brilliant question. It's 100% based on trust. If you go in or I go in and we call out somebody in a group in, a, in, a, in trying to be in a constructive manner after a key performance or challenge or a crisis and they don't believe in us or they don't trust us as a person, well, then that's going to lead to conflict. So the first and most important principle of high-performing teams is that there is 100% trust among the group. And the most important thing, if you take a, a group of seven, there's, I think there's something like 64 relationships. I might be wrong with the maths there, but 64 relationships in that group of seven people. That's the most important thing, is the relationship between each one of those people with each other. And you need to carve out time for that. And you need to start doing activities together. You need to start focusing on what does trust mean. You need to be open and honest. You need to understand what's their motivations. You need to help each other. You need to have a heartfelt connection and compassion to what's going on in their life on and off the field. If you take the famous all-black team that won you know, the last World Cup for them, they transitioned into a team that was based on the fundamental value of trust. And what they did is when somebody was fe- facing a challenge in their life, like a death in a family, everybody went to the funeral. All the team surrounded that individual and supported them. If they were taking bags off a bus, you'd often see in the videos, they would have a team of 25, 30 people, including the backroom staff, and all of the bags, like in a train, taking something out of a train, were transitioned to the next person, to the next person, all to the reception of the hotel. That's the kind of level of trust that they had. And when that trust is there, then you need to understand what does challenge or conflict mean and the context of that is if you think of a continuum on the far left you know is mean-spirited personal attacks where people are pronouncing, saying hey this is your fault you did this and maybe using certain phrases that might be based on trust etc to the individual it's like a mean-spirited personal attack don't want to get to that area but then on the far right there's everybody pretending everything's okay when it's not so people going around in an illusion just because they don't want to step into conflict But with a strong trust in a group, the people in the group then when they want to step into conflict, there's a point, an ideal point of conflict in the middle where they will be able to call things out in a constructive and positive manner. 
and frame it towards the team getting better. And that's where the values come in, because if you have a strong value system, and one of the values is transparency and op- openness and honesty, then people understand that, okay, he's calling me out and saying, maybe I could have done this, or that was a mistake, or that's something we can improve, but not to have a personal attack on me, but for the group and the organization to achieve its goals. And that's where you get to that phrase. Now, and the thing about it is you take club teams and I suppose you look at how much resources they have. And it mightn't be as possible, obviously, as it would be within an organization where they can have a meeting every week. But you have to spend time with things like this. That's why they're so hard to obtain or hard to maintain in a high performance situation. They need time. They need focus. And I suppose they need leadership to take that on board. So the first thing is relationships. The second thing is understanding what conflict is. And, and basing that on values and understanding that there's a deal, a deal point of conflict and that both sides of that spectrum or continuum are actually negative for a team's performance or to demonstrate high performance. Speaking of Abbottstown and Sport Ireland, how much has that support really helped and really pushed you on to the next level? It's It's been great for doing training sessions, uh, especially in this weather. Like it's It's great that we have access to an indoor track and I'm very lucky to work with Jesse Barr through Sport Ireland and we have access to the institute over there. Um, I've been injured before and I was very lucky to have access to physios over there and we went through biomechanics and the gym and everything so it all really does feed into kind of one loop. There's nutritionists, psychologists, physios, everything. I think to get to the next level you do need kind of a team built around you to progress. And talk to me about when you're walking into Sport Ireland and you've got this blend of athletes, Olympians, you've got national champions, European champions. What's that, what's that feeling like when you're looking across, maybe someone doing box jumps themselves or hex bar jumps? Was at some stage, was that, well, wow, that's Phil Healy. And what's that sort of environment like? Yeah, I'm very lucky I get to train with Phil a good few times. Her coach, Shane, and my coach, Jeremy, would be very good friends. And even still, I'm like, oh, wow, that's Phil Healy I'm getting to train with. <laughs> Uh, but no, it's. I think it's really, it's really inspiring. I don't know personally. I think being inspired kind of helps me to, is mot- motivates me and drives me to achieve. Just being inspired and seeing, like obviously it's Sport Ireland. You know, there's people from all different sports over there. There's the boxers there. You could see Kelly Harrington walking around. There's modern pentathlon. You know, there's literally everything over there. So it's a real great place to kind of just be inspired by sports people around you. And um, like it, there's a, a whiteboard on the wall and just have just it has like different people's names from all different sports, but like they're I don't different jumps they were doing or like PBs that they've hit in the gym and stuff like that. And it's just it's really yeah, it's just, just suppose inspiring to see. Uh playing team sports, being part of a team and so as an individual, honestly, I it got to the point where you're just it's not as much fun for me as as the individual side. So the team side for me is a whole lot more fun. It's a whole lot easier to suffer for someone else, for something else than it is by yourself. You know, I've got to the point I got to the point as an individual and I'm still there where it's like, you know, if something starts to hurt or I don't want to do something, I'm just like, ah, I'm done, you know, like I don't have that drive or that push. It just it kind of I never really had that as a kid. Like I was a team player, like played baseball, played football, American football, you know, did some stuff like that where I enjoy being part of a group, the camaraderie, the, like I said, the the push, 
that I, I get from other people, but then also seeing the push and the work that they put in. And so you want to suffer a little bit more and uh, the sacrifice there. So we've had, I've been blessed to uh, have some really good teammates and, you know, a support system. It's not just, you know, we look at on the field, I guess, the teammates, but a lot of people behind the scenes that have, have really made what mayhem has become on the field and off field possible. So like I said, I just, that was a huge part of, of growing up was being part of a team and I really enjoy that side of it more than the individual side, for sure. And then after being so successful individually, and I heard you speak before about nearly a shame of losing, you wanted to win. There was no other choice. Was it difficult sometimes in the early stages to almost give the reins over to someone else in a team event? So it's not just you anymore. What goes up on the board doesn't just count as your efforts. Was that difficult transition at the time? Yeah, it was a little bit difficult in just in the sport of CrossFit because I'd never really done that. Um, but, you know, like I said, playing team sports growing up and knowing that sometimes people are going to have a bad event or like growing up baseball, having a bad at bat. But what's kind of crazy or cool about CrossFit is, you know, we train together a lot. So you see the effort or the suffering or the sacrifice that goes in day to day. So you know that the person, whatever the event is, if it comes up, it's not their fault. Like they're, they're giving it their all. Cause I've seen them put the work in, you know, it was, you know, there might be times where it was frustrating if um, I knew somebody didn't do something or hadn't been working on a certain area, but 99% of the time, that's not the case. It just, you know, something comes up that, you know, and all, all of us know that in CrossFit, that's the beauty kind of, kind of CrossFit is you work so hard at one thing and there's so many different things to work on that something else starts to take a backseat. And there's just, there's just always something to work on. There's not one thing or you're not going to perfect everything. Uh, clearly there's the, there's some of the off field bits, which, uh, which have been sort of, I guess, pull, pulled apart a bit, but I think like when you strip a lot back, uh, they, like they, they did unbelievably well of making sure that the, that everyone was kind of looked after from a, uh, from a, cultural point of view I think you know people uh felt like they were bought buying into something there they they you know they, they bought into the the whole the whole building process of what was going on uh, I think you know it helps when there are different stages to that so obviously you know like 10 years ago or so it was very much like the first few years is about you know getting on the map making sure that we got we're, you know we're having that building that good culture so you know the, the trips and all that sort of side of it that was all, all to do with sort of building you know a group that could stay together long enough uh to then you know because i think if you get if you get i don't know 15 20 players transitioning every every year out, in and out of the club then it's impossible to build anything so i think we got to a point where okay we we got a select a selection of players when we kept them there for you know three four five you know some going into 10 12 years so i think like the, the turnover was kept to a minimum uh, it allows players to, to grow, it allows coaches to grow as well. Uh, and, and off the back of that, I think, you know, if you, especially if you get some competitive players, then that growth sort of turns into, you know, people generally wanting to learn, learn more about each other, learn more about, you know, and playing better. Yeah, I, I think that's, I think the biggest thing was the way they built the culture off field through like just easy enough things to do, like your, your trips and simple stuff, but uh, kind of just allow people to, to stay there longer and off the back of that you know you, you can build stuff and then transition into country 
from club. So myself and David will have spent a bit of time in London. We've seen Harrow on the Hill. We've seen these great places where schools develop these great mm-hmm. stars. When you bring them all together and you play as part of a national team, how important is a proper culture? How do you, how do you embed that sense of being English and playing for your jersey as opposed to being from separate parts of the country? That's a tough one. Like, I think the culture one in international has to be like, I think that's where like the, the coaches earn their sort of cash to, to try and build a group, especially if they're from like, you know, very distinctly different clubs. Uh, they play differently. Their attitudes are different. You know, I, I, I think that is one of the hardest things of how a coach can round that up. I think they get you get less cut through in terms of like, you know, if you try and do meals out, that sort of stuff. It, it, it's hard to convince people to, to, to like each other straight away or, or not like each other, but to, you know, really feel that culture. Uh, I think that is, again, something that's built over time. But yeah, I get that. How do you do it? Uh, it is about like setting in place standards and, and sort of, you know, smaller things like your no phones at the table type stuff where, you you know, you actually over time end up talking to people more and more and sort of trying to get a bit about them. But yeah, a lot of it has to be done through through winning, I think, as well and making sure that, you know, your 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 part your journey is is part of it. So, you know, you you can buy into that in terms of a cultural point of view if you know that you're progressing over time and, and, and improving uh, as a group. I think that's something that's that's very easy to buy into. Um World Cup two thousand nineteen, even before the before the World Cup, like we'd have had tough enough conversations still happening, you know, and I think at that point we thought, all right, well we need to get to the bottom of some of these and, and we got some great performance coaches or psychologists in to to really delve into like you know and talking about more open conversations rather than just you know fluffy bits i think like we we gave each other the opportunity to 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 get stuck into each other a little bit more and be be more open and get some stuff off the chest and then i think off the back of that like that that's when i thought there was real growth when when you could be a bit more open and yeah and like i said off the back of that there was a you know a good buzz going into that into that World Cup and we, you know, got to a final, but didn't win the final. But there was definite growth in the in the off-field bit, I think. Well, that's exactly, it actually echoes what Damien Varley, I think it was nearly two years ago now we spoke to him. He had said about the external criticisms as well, about young players having social media to deal with now and how he was saying the business world, it's harder for him because he can't call out people for their shortcomings as much as he could inside the walls of that monster dressing room where everybody had this accountability. Yeah, it's, I'm not too sure how I'm going to survive in the outside world when I, you're used to just saying what you think. And, you know, sometimes it might be a bit overly critical, but it's something that we worked on a lot in the last 18 months in Munster is kind of your tone of how you get a point across the days of shouting and roaring at a guy. They're, they're even gone from rugby. So even when Varl's played, that's how it worked. It doesn't young guys coming through now, like the likes of your Craig Casey or Gavin Coombs, you know, you start shouting at Gavin Coombs in the pitch and he's just going to look at you funny and just walk in the opposite direction. It doesn't younger people don't, they don't respond well to that. There's ways, and I'm a big believer, if you're a leader, you have to know the person you're talking to, the person that you're trying to get something across to, or the type of guy who needs an arm around the shoulder, the type of fellow who needs a quiet word, or a kick up the arse. 
and and every, everyone's different but um it's one thing i would say that i believe in and monster is that the only time it's okay to absolutely berate somebody in front of all your teammates is if it's a lack of effort that's just a non-negotiable you know if someone's been lazy or ill-disciplined or lack of effort they're just they're they're non-negotiables you just can't do that but that's as i said earlier something we've worked on your tone of voice and how you say something and what you're saying to somebody um so they don't feel that you're coming down on them with a ton of bricks because you want a response out of them and if you're a good leader you're going to get them you're going to get them better and they're going to respond to what you're asking out of them uh, so there's a way of doing it too then in terms of coaches you've worked with was there anyone in particular who was maybe excelled at doing that for you yeah i've 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 had six different head coaches in munster which uh which is quite a few and they've they've all been so different and they've all had you know real strengths and you know some have had, had weaknesses as well but i would say the current coaching group is is probably the most uh, oh, well-rounded group that i've i've been with there i really believe they're exceptional i believe they are going to bring this squad that unfortunately i'm not going to be part of on to win silverware um in the next year or two i've absolutely no doubt about it they're they're incredible coaches, but um, Jacques Ninarber, who's the current South African head coach, um, he came in and you know, himself and Razzie were like chalk and cheese, good cop, bad cop. And Jacques was the good cop, by the way, obviously. Um, gentleman, really well-educated, good, really good coach. But I remember we played Zebra in a pre-season friendly down in Waterford on a wet winter's evening and I, I wasn't at the races um, mentally I didn't have a good game and I remember Jacques I sat down with him on Monday morning I did a one-on-one -on -one review with him and he just looked at me and said um, Billy Holland this this guy I saw on Saturday I'd heard so much about him this guy I saw on Saturday isn't the man I'd heard about I was very disappointed in everything you did I, I was very disappointed and I was sitting there kind of thinking Oh my God, this is, this is, this is tough. It's like the biggest ever uh, disappointment that you could, uh, I, I was gutted and, but then that was it. It was, it was 20 seconds of telling him how disappointed he was. He'd heard so much about Billy Holland. And so we then had a quick chat about what to do and away we went and every other Monday I'd sit down with him and he'd be like, he'd give you a hug after a game. He'd say, that was incredible. I'm so proud of you. This is Billy Holland. And <laughs> it was just such a powerful way of, I let him down in that game that didn't matter against Zebra in Waterford. I let him down in that. And, you know, so my mind was like, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> I'm never doing that again. <laughs> but for that to work, he was always so honest with me going forward, incredibly positive and complimentary when things went well. Or then if if I did miss a tackle or something, or you pulled out of that, you weren't fully committed to that. He'd tell it you straight out. And for me, that worked really well. Whereas if he'd shouted at me on Monday, I would probably think, thought, you know, screw you. You're only in here a wet week. Like, so it's, um, you know, I don't like picking on one particular coach because I learned so much over so many of the coaches and but that just from a one-on-one -on -one individual and you talk about motivation earlier 
like you're not going to get a better motiv- greater motivation than that. And what did Billy Holland look like when he was ticking? So like what did success look like for you in your own aftermatch review? Yeah, it's um satisfaction after a game can sometimes be a difficult thing to achieve. It, it's kind of sad, but as a professional sports person, you're never One thing you've mentioned earlier was the work ethic and non-negotiable, being a non-negotiable. And then you've said that you're trying to get the best out of people around you. Sometimes that may call for critique or asking people to do better or, you know, identifying areas where people just aren't putting in that work. How do you communicate that when you're outside of the dressing room, when it's not a rugby player and it's not a professional athlete? How do you do that with people in your life and business or in your family? Um, yeah, look, I mean, that, that is a little bit difficult. I, I, I'm not difficult. I mean, it, it is a little bit different. I think from a, a rugby, you know, and a sporting sense, it's it's interesting that you look at it. And I think that as a as an athlete, you can you can be quite direct, and particularly in rugby, and, and, it, and it's sort of encouraged to be quite direct. But also something I always thought of that, you know, I wanted to be beyond reproach. And, you know, if you're asking someone to do something to, you know, push themselves physically or mentally to get to a spot they can't come back to you and go why aren't you doing it and so that was always something to me and I think that's a little bit more difficult to quantify outside of a sporting sense in a, in a rugby sense it's probably quite measurable it's quite tangible you can see what it is it's you know we I need you to push yourself for 10 minutes and, it, and it, you can see it on the clock you can see where you know it, it's quite glaring because everything's filmed everything's available everything's viewable you know sometimes in in the business world it's you know, it is again actual about what people output, but you don't, you won't really know, probably to a point, whether that's the the most that they've pushed themselves or the hardest they've worked to get to that output. And I, and I think that's a that's a challenge, and it's a challenge being in a in an outside of professional sporting environment, and it's a challenge that you know you don't. I guess people don't think the same way or haven't had the background, but but also on on onto that, it's not everyone needs to be like that and that's why I guess professional athletes are, you know there's not millions and millions of them around the world it's it's a fairly short small number that get to the very very top of their sport so it's about understanding and, and understanding what drives other people outside of things that you expected them to drive and trying to work and, and touch of those points um, to get the best out of them. A huge objective for the show is obviously to link different spaces and, and build a curiosity and learning from different worlds. And what have you taken from the world of professional rugby and then brought into, you know, your, your transitioning period into a career in, you know, in the automotive industry and also executive MBA with Cambridge Business School? Yeah, look, I, I think first and foremost, you know, one thing that rugby is it's a people business, you know, sport is a, pe- you know, particularly team sport is a, is a people business. It's it's about understanding the people around you and that, that equates to business as well or, or, or study or however you're working because it's about understanding the people that are in your team, the people that are across from you, the people that you're working next to, your competitors, and it's understanding them as a, as a person and how you can get the most out of them or, or get the most out of yourself to get the best out of them. So I think... That's quite a, an easy and tangible way to look at the way you do things. So, you know, it's certainly a, a reflection from a from a rugby point of view that 
you know, I, I learned along the way that it's about understanding the people around you, you know, what their background is, where they come from, what, they, what drives them, what makes them feel better, how they, how they approach things, and that not everyone's the same and not everyone's like you and not everyone um, views the world in, in, in the way that you view the world. So I think that's certainly part of it. You know, obviously I think the hard work, to me, is always, as I said, it's been a non-negotiable, whether that's rugby or life outside of it. It's about doing the work uh, and preparing yourself as best as possible. So I, I think they're probably the two big thing, two big things in terms of moving across. And and look, I think working as a team um, and working with people, you know, rugby, I think, is one of the great team sports out there because realistically, you know, that no matter how good a player you have on your team. You know, without the, the sum of the parts, you're never going to be successful. While there's, you know, there's a lot of team sports out there, that, you know, some that, you know, if you've still got the best player in the world that plays basketball, you're probably going to win more games than you're going to lose. Whereas if you've got the best rugby player in the world and then everyone around you's not at that level or not pulling the same way, it's going to be the other way. You're never going to win a game like that. So I think that's a really unique but great thing about, about rugby as a sport so ladies and gentlemen thank you very much for tuning in we hope you got some great insights from that episode some of the key takeaways were the importance of buying into the collective mentioned by Shane O'Sullivan that collaborative approach to having your values and understanding why what really matters at its core having the trust as a high performance team and how to believe in each other when challenging circumstances arise we also looked at inspiring others from your teammates your colleagues and the people around you sophie becker looks around the sport ireland and sees all these inspirational athletes coaches and individuals and that's what drives her on to new levels it matches up with what george cruz billy holland and james horwell said in terms of that collective approach to doing better being able to ask the difficult questions with colleagues with people who are striving to achieve with you so it's so important they push you they get the very best from you. And as Rich Froning says, you suffer for someone else, for something else. It may be the thing that gets you over the line and through adversity. Finally, it means the synergistic effect that the sum equals more than the individual parts. And that is what it means to be a team. And who's coming up over the next couple of weeks? Well, we've got some really interesting people, some, some great guests from diverse walks of life. We've got Cody Royal coach of coaches coming in for a live podcast here in Dublin come on we're looking forward to that one yeah live is what we've been looking at for a few years now um not Vicker Street yet maybe but not yet somewhere good anyway so yeah the author of the tough stuff where others won't and really a coach of coaches we've also got Derek Corum coming up as well from the US very much a thought leader in health exercise and learning to be your best without burnout i think that's something that you're really going to enjoy Kieran. yeah i did go through tuckman's model so you can kind of tell that of interest in sports psychology so dr eric is going to be an absolutely fascinating one for me and burnout as we've spoken about a lot huge topic at the moment we have the author of deep work coming up cal newport that's going to be fascinating for all of you that are interested in productivity intentional working and how to stay focused that one's going to be a big one yeah cal is an excellent podcast himself deep questions have a look at it um, inspired us with his books so it's going to be an honor to speak to him former navy naval captain marie gleason saw her at the pendulum summit the two of us went and saw her in the rds um, and she's amazing she's passionate her stories and her lessons so that will be really really one to look forward to and then we've got professor 
Brendan Kelly, the professor of psychiatry in Trinity College Dublin, author of his new book, In Search of Madness, A Psychiatrist Travels Through the History of Mental Illness from Gill Books. Can't wait for that one. Yeah, can't wait to get our hands on that. That's going to be hugely interesting, especially given our backgrounds in, in healthcare and stuff like that. So we can't wait to speak to Brendan, but also to read his insights. Yeah, so look, some really interesting people coming up, a couple of live ones. We'll you know, just keep an eye out there for when those tickets are coming up. But uh, as, as we often say, just thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening and hope you're getting something from it because you know, we put a bit of time into it. The guests really do tell their stories personally and as to how they became successful. So hope you're getting something from it. Yeah, and thanks to everyone who's been sending in feedback and giving us ratings and reviews. Really help. We try and change and adapt and refine as we go. So they're very helpful all the time. And for the the suggestions for guests, that's been helpful as well because we kind of get an understanding about what people want to hear. People keep asking more live ones and um, more books and different walks of life. And so, yeah, it gives us great insights. You know, that's what Kiran and I need so that this continues to evolve and get better. So tune in next week. Looking forward to it. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, a story of high performance. This was brought to you by Howora, a whole person wellbeing company founded and run from Dublin, Ireland. Find out more at howoralife.com, spelt H-A-U-O-R-A life.com. Please rate, review and share the podcast. Some people want it to happen. Some wish it would happen. Others make it happen. The GOAT, Michael Jordan.